It's March 13th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 246 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi, Haliti from Toronto, Canada. Salam Dustan Aziz, Durubashima. It does sound weird, my voice, doesn't it? You know, I was on a plane this weekend, yesterday, and, uh, sorry, turn Peg on there. there where are you? Are you there? Oh, no, you're not there yet. Oh. There we go. All right. Uh, I was I was flying, I, I think when I was flying to, I mm-hmm. went to D.C., I was flying to there. I was sitting next to somebody, oh. or somebody was sitting next to me, who was doing the the cough. I think I, I think I should just like go in a hazmat suit when I go on planes. <laughs> Were you wearing a mask? No. Okay. What? Well, I mean, it's still recommended on airplanes. Would you wear a mask on an airplane? On the, on the plane, yeah. Oh, really? I do. Oh, well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I haven't been wearing you're, a mask. You're basically since... in like a tin can. Yeah, you are. Right? Yeah, yeah. So like Especially with the person everything. I mean, the molecules were there was coughing <laughs> and I could feel it coming. And so I think I've uh and then I was in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't gonna go into all this right away, but I um I thought, you know, we're snowy Toronto. Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of storm and actually right. isn't that cold in Toronto, but but you know, we had some snow and I was looking at the temperatures in DC for the weekend mm-hmm. and it was saying eight degrees, seven degrees Celsius. Right. So I didn't, I oh. didn't take a coat. I didn't take a winter coat, and so I go there, and it's actually windy and blustery yeah. and uh, three degrees, and I was lucht <laughs> <laughs> again, again, as my mother. Like I, I, <laughs> I just posted a picture of me and Airfon, you know, rapper yeah. Airfon, uh, my wordsmith brother, at uh, in front of the White House mm-hmm. there. And uh, he's in like a well, he's from he's from L.A., so he's embarrassingly overdressed. Right. He's got like this full parka yeah. and like it's like, dude, it's like calm down. Yeah, it. like you're not at the North Pole, right. you know, but, uh, but in contrast, you're in a I'm, leather jacket. I know. I just know my mother is going to be like, uh, you know, yeah. this is you're this out is there naked. Exactly. But yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the woman coughing uh, on molecules. me next to me the molecules I don't know if they're <laughs> molecules whatever they are that got into my uh, um, anyway I'll tell you about the DC in a second I want to say Nikki Nojumi mm-hmm. one of the great uh, uh, Iranian artists uh, so he's an, an Iranian American legendary Iranian American artist we've had him on the show mm-hmm. not for a long time actually it was it was two or three years ago based in New York and famous for, in fact, award-winning for, internationally recognized for, for what? Protest art. Protest art, yeah. right. Political, satirical, political mm-hmm. art, that of which we see so much of now Recently. over the last six months. Mm-hmm. But he's been doing this for years, and right. he's continuing to do it now. Um, so it's almost like the the Iranian world has caught up to Nikki Nojumi, <laughs> you know? I mean, he was doing this before the last revolution, and right. then he, after the Islamic Republic came to power, he was put in jail, and, you know, one of these stories, and ends up coming to New York, and, and he's been very consistently, you know, uh, um, creating art about the mullahs and, mm-hmm. and being opposed to this regime. And so... Um, and right now he's very active, and and but for Nikki Dojumi, that's there's been no change. I mean, it wasn't right. like 
Masai, I mean, he got killed and he suddenly got politicized, you know. Um, so he's coming up. Uh, we'll get to him in New York. But before that, we go to Los Angeles for Kosar Abbasi. She is a dancer, uh, a choreographer, a performer, an activist, mm-hmm. uh, an actor, and uh, an entrepreneur. She's got a few different businesses. So she grew up in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has this wild story where she was always in love with dance but ends up going to India oh, wow. uh, to study medicine, of course, right. and then <laughs> uh, realizes that she can her talents, her dancing talents can flourish and becomes kind of a dancing star in India, mm-hmm. then goes to Malaysia, then ends up in Los Angeles a few years ago and, and has basically been uh, in L.A. for the last what five years. What a journey. What a journey. And she has been so active in this um, movement, you know, mm-hmm. of late, uh, posting videos, um, being creating um, artistic works, right. uh, very defiantly talking about not just being an Iranian woman, but an, an Iranian female dancer Mm -hmm. which of course you cannot be with inside Iran and um, fighting for the right for people uh, to dance in fact we've entitled today's episode we should be allowed to dance Mm -hmm. based on something that she's uh, this is kind of her mantra Um, so she's coming up in Los Angeles in just a little bit really looking forward to having Kosar on the show for the first time yeah, excited to hear about it. I mean, just even from what you've said, that's incredible. Yeah, she's. Got, well, I'm going to ask her about her story. Yeah. I mean, uh, for sure, we'll talk about, um, I know in our roundup, we're going to get to the news today about yes. that involves actually female dancers, dancers. in Iran. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, but uh, I also want to talk to her about her story. So I was in D.C. for this Nufti mm-hmm. fundraiser. Remember Nufti? Yes. Kamran Khansarania. Khansarinia. Khansarinia. I think so. Yeah. We had him on the show. Yes. He's, uh, this, uh, Nufti's a non-profit, non-partisan organization. It's, they represent the Iranian-American community mm-hmm. and they're sort of pursuing, um, they're active about U.S. policy towards Iran and right. human rights and democracy and and so they had an event and so I went down for that and there was a lot of different people there. Some of mm-hmm. the uh, the, the well-known opposition leaders and, and others were there. Um, but I was going to say, uh, and of course, Airfon is uh, mm-hmm. was there, so that's why I saw him, and we went um, like tourists uh, and so took a picture <laughs> in front of the White House. <laughs> uh, but uh, Shali Zomorodi was there. Oh, okay. And she's been on the show like yes. two or three times on our show, but I've never met her in person. Really? Oh, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, because that was always Zoom. It was always Zoom. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's always been, she's in San Diego. Yes, and, yes. And uh, it was so nice to meet her in person. And you know how people always think, oh, I don't know if she's going to like me saying this. You know how people always think that I'm shorter than I am? Mm-hmm. Like they meet me in person and go, oh, you're kind of tall. I thought you were, you know. Right. I thought she was really tall. And she's not. She's not. Oh, okay. No. I don't know. I mean, That's not I, that I interesting. Guess, but, I guess video and whatnot doesn't. But you know what she is? It's very genuine. Mm-hmm. You know? You, you kind of... You, you never totally know someone's energy until you're yeah. with them in, in person. And she's, of course, so lovely in her videos and on her right. shows and everything. But you kind of go, well, maybe she's a performer. That's her. Mm-hmm. But in person, you know, and of course, there were so many people who wanted to come and take pictures with her or talk right. to her. And she's just seemed like a really genuine soul, you know. And her husband was there who is the trooper who kind of like uh, <laughs> assists. They have like a gazillion children, you know, the whole story. Right? Well, they, I mean, they've got like a, an army of children. They have like three or something? They have like a, a schoolyard. Of, uh, you know, I think they're four. <laughs> three or four? Four, okay. yeah, I think it's four. Uh, anyway, lovely to see Shali uh, Zomorodi. Uh, shout out to you, Shali. Uh, nice to see you in person and uh, and be taller than you. 
<laughs> even with your glamorous heels. Um, so there is, uh, as we say, we've got uh, uh, Corsair Abbasi and Nikki Nojumi coming up. But before that, um, there's it's one of those things where in between shows sometimes mm-hmm. there's not that much happening. And then there's times when it yeah. feels like there's a lot happening. So just before we were about to start here, I was saying to you, what do you think about the roundup? And we, we there was a you know the list is too long. We had yeah, to cut some exactly. things because yeah, there's feel, so much going on. I feel like it, like you said, you know, sometimes between shows, it's there's some quiet periods, and then other times it's like a lot has happened. But surprisingly, I think this week or since the last show, rather, I feel like it was a lot more than even usual. I was seeing a lot yeah. more videos. I was seeing a lot more. And and, um, and if posts. the narrative is that the the revolution is slowing somehow, mm-hmm. the news cycle isn't there, or at least not this week in Definitely terms of not. there's so much going on some of it not not positive necessarily mm-hmm. let's start with the because we already referenced them the dancers because yeah. this is something we also talked about on our last mm-hmm. show yes so because it was last week when this video went viral of these wonderful young female dancers mm-hmm. uh in uh, what's it called Ek- Ekbaton. Ekbaton, yeah. in the Ekbaton neighborhood in tehran I will tell the story because the breaking news is unfortunate now that they've just been arrested, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, we talked about it on the last show that we saw this video be released on International Women's Day. It depicted, you know, these five um, women dancing in front of an apartment complex by the name of Ekbaton. And um, obviously, based on experience, we were all worried about what was going to come. They weren't wearing masks. No, no masks. And in fact, they were like bellies exposed, like full on, you know, Western looking uh, right. bravely doing these dances and, and seemingly with a lot of joy and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so I remember actually the last show we said, you know, we hope that nothing comes of yeah. this, but of course that fear is obviously always there when we see yeah. videos like this come out from Iran. So initially what happened is that they actually received a warning from what I presume to be like intelligence services or something like that. Uh, and so they weren't actually rounded up. They weren't detained, nothing like that. They just received a warning. Um, their dance instructor also received a warning because apparently these girls all are part of some sort of um, a cor- like a class or something along those lines. So um, everyone received warnings and then that was it. And then immediately after the warning or sometime after, I guess, they were brought in for just questioning or they were told they were just being brought for questioning. Mm. That questioning ended up turning into two, ta- two days of detainment. So oh, they were wow. actually detained for two days. Where did you get all this? I, been, I thought that... Yeah, th- this, this must have just come out all this. News, yeah, like right? I think like four or five hours ago, okay, all of this came right. out, so maybe even less. Um, there's updates now that they were detained. Um, they've now since been released. All of them. Yes, the, all, the, all of the, them. The, yeah, yeah. But prior to their release, they were forced to provide a confession, quote right, unquote, right. which I assume is under duress. So, you know, obviously forced, false confession. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that that's the latest with them. But. Um, you know, one thing I, would, I did want to mention about about this whole situation, aside from the fact that, you know, of course, we, we were all worried about what would come of them and mm, what would happen. Mm, and obviously mm. the, the confession is just pure bullshit. But um, something that I, I saw that really warmed my heart was that in the period of time that they were given this kind of cautionary warning or whatever to the time that they were detained to just a couple of hours ago, thousands of people have uploaded videos of themselves dancing. Ah, yes, yes, yes. In solidarity with these girls and to show their support. And so, you know, I know we talk about this a lot, about this newfound unity amongst Iranians and this sense of... Solidarity. Solidarity and all of that. But it just, it was wonderful to see because in such a short period of time, they all just kind of came together, uploaded these videos and... 
aside from the fact that some of them are incredible, yeah. um, it was just beautiful to see. I will inevitably ask Kosar about this because mm-hmm. I'm sure she's got a very personal connection yeah. to this as a dancer from Iran and, and somebody who's been really outspoken about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, as you say, it was inevitable that yes, uh, that they get arrested, but that, that's a nice... Um, coda to it mm-hmm. that there's these uh, this solidarity happening what else do we have in the roundup um, well before we move into kind of occurrences in the diaspora there is a new call to action inside Iran um, that's stemming from what would typically be Charshan Besuri mm. um, celebrations I guess so there's this um, viral kind of campaign or poster or something that's been um, that's being shared on social media and it's asking for individuals to come out on 22nd, 23rd, and 24th of Isfand, which is the 14th, 15th, so now, and 16th of March. Yeah, days, so right. tomorrow and then the next couple uh-huh. of days. Um, and so the idea is to kind of encourage everyone to use Charshan Basuri as, you know, I guess um, a symbol more than anything else to come out of this darkness and, and move into, again, more solidarity, more unity, more protests. Um, so that'll be interesting to see the turnout over the over the next couple of days. And I think what's even more interesting is that Charshan Basuri historically has always been a time that, you know, people come out onto the streets, they're celebrating. You should explain what it is. I mean, it's, you know, I know most of our audience is Iranian. Yes. And, but there are people who listen who either are not Iranian or are not schooled in the in our our institutions and events. So, go so ahead. let's hope I get this right. It's the last... Tuesday night mm-hmm. of the year mm-hmm. prior to celebrating Nowruz, which is the, the Iranian New Year. Um, and the concept is, you know, you jump over fire and there's a saying that you give all of your negative energy and negative thoughts and just negativity to the fire and absorb all of the positivity from yeah. it. Um, and what I was saying is that historically, this is a night where, you know, a lot of people, especially in Iran, come out and celebrate. And in fact, even the regime tends to be a little bit more lax on uh, on a night like this so in light of this new call to action and the recent occurrences in iran it'll be very interesting to see what transpires right yeah okay yeah um so we'll see we'll be watching for the call to action inside iran the next few days uh and by all means if you're in iran and you want to subversively or otherwise get in contact with us and tell us what's going on we we're always looking for candidates Mm -hmm. for our voices from inside iran series um what else do you have so everything else I have is outside of Iran, but um, again, I still th- I still feel like there was so much that happened. The first thing is um, the announcement of Iran-Saudi ties uh. being reestablished. So I thought that was major news. Um, and just to provide some background, um, Iran and Saudi Arabia have cut ties since back in 2016. So it's been roughly about seven years that officially they're no longer friends, quote unquote. Um, and this came um, after the demonstrate the demonstrations and the storming of the Saudi embassy in Tehran um, following the execution of a Muslim cleric in Saudi Arabia. So can what I, can I just inter- intervene here? Yeah. You say everything so matter of factly. Um, which I like about you. You're down to business. I mean, these are facts. Yeah, you're unemotional, robotic. Robotic. Yeah. Uh, well, and, well, I'll uh, get to my opinion well, on this. No, actually, you don't have to get your opinion, but it just you say that you said it as if, I mean, it's humdrum. You know, it's actually you could exclaim it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think, like Iran and the Saudis are back in bed together. I mean, that's a. It's huge. It's it's it, yeah. It's pretty. Shitty, actually. It is, yeah. yeah. I agree. 
and jarring. It was jarring news. Like it was like one of those things that I mean, now that I've t- spoken to a few policy analysts mm-hmm. and stuff over the weekend, I felt like, oh, okay, you know, they were like, well, you could see this coming, and you know, these are the kind of things that the Saudis do, whatever. But when I saw the news on Friday, I was like, what? You know, it was a double take. It was yeah. really. I mean, I thought that there was enmity between you know, Saudi Arabia and, and Iran. I thought that was the whole point. You know, that mm-hmm. Iran International, and also, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But yeah, go ahead. Well, and and that's the thing. And I was gonna p- touch upon that, but we'll talk about it now. Is that um, after the news, there's even been some chaos um, erupting inside Iran amongst political circles inside Iran within the regime, actually, because um, exactly what you said, you know, Iran and Saudi Arabia have been kind of enemies and and fighting for this power in the region and all of this. And the Islamic Republic has actually been very vocal about this, calling them, you know, a cancer in the region and all of that. So now what's happened is after the news of them kind of you know, getting into bed together, as you said. Um, How dare you dance with the devil? Exactly. That's what's happening, right? That's yeah, right. Yeah. And there's this, um, everyone's calling each other out. So right. a lot of the quote-unquote reformists in the Islamic Republic are saying, you know, the hardliners, how could you say that they were kind of the cancer in the region and now what's happened that you're coming to the mm. table with them? Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that, you know, there's always been this conversation within the Islamic Republic about regional disputes being solved by regional states. So no intervention from the big bad wolf, the United States, right? But there's been absolutely no comment on China who's brokered this deal and Mm. the role that they play. And so going towards my opinion on all of this, I think it's just... This is more in favor. Is your inflection going to change? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is this is all you know. What's good for China? Uh, it, I don't think this is going to be in the benefit of Iran in any way, shape, or form. And I think it's just this new power di- or po- shift. You don't in think power. it's in the benefit of, of Iran? Not really. I mean, I don't. Isn't Iran? I mean, it's kind of starved for allies. Why not have Saudi Arabia? I, I, well, know, here's to the thing. add to the they're, list of notorious for, countries that are supporting uh, Iran. Yeah, they're definitely starved for allies, but. Saudi Arabia, I mean, we've seen all Saudi Arabia cares about is Saudi Arabia. And I'm sure the only reason that China's brokering this deal is because there's something in it for them. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I think, ultimately... How cynical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. the last six months, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. But, but uh, uh, yeah, and I, I think from the conversations I was having on the weekend, I don't know about mm-hmm. this stuff too intimately, but um sounds like also the Saudis um, not happy with the U.S. Yes. Because, of course... Under the Trump administration, there was, you know, they were high five. They were bros, you mm-hmm. know. Remember, they they met around the globe with that glowing <laughs> orb or whatever it was. That and, image, yeah. yeah. And so, and now, uh, you know, I mean, whatever the real deal is, that certainly, certainly the lip service has been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Biden sort of castigating them a little bit about Khashoggi and and then Jake Sullivan going there and saying some negative things. Right. And so the Saudis have got a chip on their shoulder now about uh, the U.S. And, and are willing to look for other bedfellows and, and, and as you say, are usually operate based on self-interest. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no huge, huge ideological uh, sort of um, grandmaster plan in terms of who they ally with. Is what I was told this weekend mm-hmm. by different people. But um, um, it's, it, you know, one of the things that is alarming, uh, and I hate to state the obvious. Maybe this is again too obvious, but uh, you don't. You don't negotiate a new friendlier relationship with a regime you expect to be toppled any any day, you know? Yeah. And so this says to me, like if I zoom out, I go, the Saudis don't think that the regime's mm-hmm. going anywhere. 
why would you make a deal? Why would yeah. you like what? What's the incentive? They're, if they're gone next week, you know, you know, you start to look for who's the next guy, and then I'll see what my relationship is with mm-hmm. them, right? So, so this is all as with you know the the U.S. the chatter we're hearing about that. Maybe you'll get to it. Well, mm-hmm. you will, uh, you know, and the EU and all of that. This is all. I would put this in the in in the folder of hedging their bets that the, yeah. the regime is is staying for now. It's the devil they know. And I guess the devil they want to keep. The murderous devil they yeah, know. That's right. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to get to it, but I'll, I'll talk about it first. I wanted to chat about the uh, potential prisoner swap story that we've been hearing. So for anyone who hasn't seen the, the news reports, um, there was some allegations made by the um, Iranian foreign minister, um, Hossein Amir Abdullahian. He told state media on Sunday that a deal had been reached between Iran and the United States for a prisoner swap. And he went so far as to say that Iran is ready by any and all means, and that the U.S. is in their final stages of technical coordination. Now, this typically wouldn't be enough to just talk about, but I wanted to talk about it because um, while he, you know, while all of this was going on, um, the the deal with Saudi Arabia and China and all of that typically, Hussein Amir Abdullahian would have been the person there. To talk negotiating about negotiating the Saudi deal. Right. and talking to the Saudis and whatnot. He wasn't mm. because he, in fact, was in the process of speaking to the United States. So I think, you know, if I, when I just first read this. How do you know that? News reports. Okay. Yeah. Research. <laughs> you weren't on the Zoom call. No. Yeah, yeah, right. No, I wasn't. No <laughs> insider info. Where's Hussein? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, but the but the reason that I wanted to bring this up is because, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, is this whole prisoner swap story real? real is yeah. it, you know, and, and I have my hesitations and reservations Mm. and whatever else but i think this is a really important keynote so we'll see what comes of it but the u.s is definitely insisting that it's false and they're saying that you know although washington is committed to securing the release of americans that are being held in iran this story yeah but did you see the quote today or the the quote that just came out was it was this story is false but we are chatting with Iran about potential I mean so which part of it is false you know if it's I I think they just wanted to say to sort of be contrarian about the Mm -hmm. the IRI foreign minister can I let me ask you a question with your put your uh, political science graduate hat on fellow poli sci grad hat on and uh, do you believe that if there are let's say these negotiations are happening for a prisoner swap Mm -hmm. do you believe that also implies some sort of rapprochement that is part of conversations about a nuclear deal. Absolutely. I, I don't think that it would be one or the other, hmm. for sure. Because I think if you're going to sit at the table with them about the prisoner swaps, of course you're going to sit at the table with them about the, the nuclear talks and things like that. And if anything, I mean, and any human rights lawyer or advocate or anything like that, please don't come for me when mm-hmm. I say this. But I think the U.S. is going to be more inclined to talk about a deal that will ultimately result in financial b- gains for them as opposed to just humanitarian work and and come and bringing back ah, their see. prisoners right. so which yes. human rights lawyer is going to come after you for that i don't know to, i just thought you know if, I, you. if yeah. I say something about prisoners and whatnot i'm always ready to uh-huh. take some yeah, yeah 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 well it's yeah i mean we don't exactly know but you're right but yes. i mean it's uh yeah i, I think i agree mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately uh, yeah. all of the 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 whispering that uh i mean you can you know, you can. It's telegraphed in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I, the Robert Malley thing has been done to death Ugh. in terms of, and I've done it. You know, I mean. Right. So, but but why would you? Why would you make statements 
that are so nuanced mm-hmm. that they can be interpreted as we're we're actually back channeling with the Islamic Republic mullahs to make a deal. Mm-hmm. If you really, really you weren't, weren't yeah. you know, you would be your language would be so defined, you know, so so firmly in mm-hmm. uh, on on one side. So it's um, and this is a constant dribber drab and and uh, and you know you you add this to the information that we're getting for from somebody like Dr. Mahdi Qutsi last mm-hmm. week saying, yes. you know, the Biden administration is not doing anything to stop the the conversations that are happening with China, uh, the, the conversations, the, the sale of, um, of oil to China, mm-hmm. et cetera, where, where they could. That's right. Um, you know, it's a... It's a it's a disappointment. Those those who um, were, you know, who were claiming that the Biden administration will be disappointing um, in terms of uh, where they'll sit ultimately sit with this uprising are turning out to be right uh, so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, the Mahsa Charter. Oh, that's oh, something that, I, I definitely something else. wanted yes, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the Manchur. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so the Massa Charter is courtesy of the Alliance for Democracy and Freedom in Iran, right. ADF Iran. Am I supposed to put my fist, fist in the air? Yes. <laughs> so the f- bef- the before fist I go logo, into that, yeah. can, I, can I voice my personal opinion yeah. about something? Yeah. I really don't like this logo. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I think there could have been You're a much alone. better choice. Yeah. I was, I was, I, I, I hate to be cheeky about it. That's what I was, but it was, that's what I was alluding to. But mm-hmm. I've seen so many people who don't think this should have been the the logo. Yeah. Uh, for for a multitude of reasons, it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem to be winning a lot of hearts. Mm-hmm. This is a sort of a black uh, fist. fist on a white background. That's right. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess it it references where. We're having a revolution. I mean, I, I understand the concept or the idea behind it, maybe. I mean, fists have always been representative of uprisings and mm-hmm. revolts and, mm-hmm. and yeah. fights and things like that. But at first glance, the first thing I thought of was the BLM movement, so mm-hmm. the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. Black Lives yeah. Matter movement. Yeah, exactly. Um, because the logo is Because the logo yeah, is yeah. exactly the same. It's just inverted yeah. in color. So uh-huh. I think uh-huh. it's white on black as uh-huh. opposed to black on white. It's literally the same logo. That's the first thing. The other thing is, I think, you know, a fist of, uh, you know, showing that fight and then what's written in the charter about, you know, this nonviolent overthrow of the Islamic Republic and and some of the ideologies of it. I just I thought they could have chosen a better logo, but that's just my personal rant on the logo. So going back to the charter, um, for anyone who hasn't heard of this news or seen what's come out um, regarding the Massa Charter. Uh, it was released on March 10th. It's uh, a charter written by an, an alliance of individuals, organizations, and political parties. Some very uh, notable initial signatories, which include Masiani Najad, Nazan Bonyadi, Shirin Ebadi, Hamid Esmailiun, Abdullah Motadi, and Reza Pahnavi. Um, and it's basically a framework for cooperation, and their main aim is to pursue the nonviolent overthrow of the Islamic Republic and establishing of a secular democracy in Iran. Um, and I think a lot of people were anticipating this charter because there had been talks from the coalition and, and them saying that they've been working on this for some time. Definitely a step in the right direction, for sure. Is it? I would hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and a lot of a lot of great points about you know the what a foundation of a eventual secular democracy could look like, but I'm sure there's there's more work to be done on it, for sure. 
Well, there are a lot of people who are very unhappy with it, mm-hmm. of which I'm, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I have to, I guess, spend more time with it. Right. I, I, I read it Saturday morning. I kind of went through it, mm-hmm. and uh, it was I, I didn't have a good initial reaction. I was kind of like, really, what? First of all, it felt shockingly thin, mm-hmm. um, and then on the other hand, it felt like shockingly prescriptive it's like uh you know uh i mean there's sort of language of this is a blueprint a plan maybe right, we'll right. suggest suggestion whatever but but is it i mean it's it feels like it's like well, here's the plan for the next uh, uh foreseeable future for iran and mm-hmm. it's going with the, the iranian people vote on this how did this happen so um uh, obviously there are some well-intentioned people behind it i guess yeah. you know but i i uh i i see a lot of the criticism of it mm-hmm. and go oh Geez, good points, you know. I and I don't know what uh, it. You know what? You know what's a frustrating moment that we're in is that um, we have to be able to disagree and communicate on things, yes, and maintain solidarity. And so I see some of the disagreement being shut down, even by some prominent people saying, "This is the time for unity." Mm-hmm. It's like, well. Unity, Unity doesn't mean <laughs> how far are you going to take yeah. that? Because surely you have to negotiate. Exactly. What What's the path forward? And surely that negotiation will have to involve all Iranians and you know mm-hmm. some sort of plebiscites and referendums and ideas and what. And so you can't just say, "Well, in the sake of unity." I mean, then it becomes, if you take that to its logical conclusion, you're just it's a it's dict- a dictatorship yeah, because exactly. you will do everything I say based on unity. That's I know right. that's not at all what's being pledged here, but. It um, there has to be oxygen for people to disagree mm-hmm. and you know push and pull and elasticity and sure. so I hope that I guess my hope for it would be that this the wording when people some of the, some of the folks around this who've been tweeting or talking about it say, mm-hmm. I'm saying this is a suggestion or this is a, a blueprint that suggests it's not like the the be all and end all I, I would hope that that's the case that mm-hmm. there's some ability to kind of um, uh, work with this because it, it doesn't it, if in fact it goes anywhere because it it does seem uh, um, that rigidly prescribing this would be in my opinion a mistake right now yeah. yeah I think one of the main reasons that I thought even initially that it was a good step in the right direction and I still want to maintain that thought is that it is being referred to as a blueprint I think for something preliminary it's good but I think it has a lot of work I think like you said there needs to be a lot of additional conversations that need to be had and the other thing is from what I read and again to be fair I haven't gone through the entire thing in in detail but from what I read it's kind of too many steps forward in my opinion I think you think you know that's the whole point yeah let's go a little bit at a time yes we want to see that solidarity we want to see people working Mm -hmm. together we want to see that's my problem it's like slow slow down slow down where are we going all of a sudden you know um and can i i really don't i really really don't uh enjoy the the ongoing debates about flags and things okay so that's my disclaimer (laughs) but let me ask you a question again Put your political okay. science uh, graduate hat on. Oh, this one, this one's a hard one for I, me. I know I, it's a hard one because you. Yes. I think we disagree on this because I think. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, why not use the Shir Khushid? What, like, why don't use an Iranian, a traditional mm-hmm. Iranian flag? Right. You know, the one that's been that 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 predated this era. It's not only the Pahlavi flag. Mm-hmm. It's something that, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, it goes back a few centuries. Why not use the fact that you go to a demonstration? Everybody's carrying that flag. Yep. I mean, isn't that 
a way to be unified. To, mm-hmm. I, I know there's sensitivities around that because of some people who only interpret that or yeah. may interpret that as meaning support only for for um, one camp or something. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that trying to um, in, you know initiate or sandwich in a new logo that represents the Iranian <laughs> people it, it it's weird yeah you know I mean there's already a naturally one that people are gravitating towards right. I don't think everyone who's carrying a Shirohoshi flag is a diehard monarchist yeah. I mean this is you know it's become the 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 symbol of we don't support the regime and we're out demonstrating right mm-hmm. outside of Iran obviously yeah. it's not something you can carry in the inside but so I so my question is <laughs> <laughs> you disagree I, here's the thing I I mean, I've gone to demonstrations and I've held the same flag myself and, and, you know, things like that. But I understand some of that sensitivity. Okay. And I think that, you know, considering the last 44 years uh-huh. and considering this idea that we want to have conversations and we want to have inclusivity and we want to hear everyone's opinions and all of that. I think especially because of the sensitivity that's grown over the last 44 years, mm. it's something that maybe should still be discussed. All right. That's, that's it, my yeah. stance on that. But was that the question? Was it? No, that I, did, I, but, did I disagree. Yeah, no, yeah. no, okay. that's fine. That was fine. I mean, I I understand your point. Yeah, I I just think uh, it's a shorthand. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it was like, what, what, yeah. why would you start? I mean, I get that there's going to be a couple of people on the of that opposition group yeah. and, and and maybe some of their their inner circles or their followers that think no, no but mm-hmm. it just seems like that would be a lot easier than oh, integrating definitely. a new fist as our uh yeah as our you oh, know as the I, and, i'm totally uh, against the fist i mean if, if there's any flag i'm gonna not hang on well, to or hold or represent it's it's so bad that like yeah. it, i feel bad that, i mean it just got it, the, the memes of this fist at this point with yeah. the, like the jokes and the you know, know it's not the way you want to start a a, a campaign can we, but can we maybe we'll come around ADF to Iran and have Anita give them a new logo or something <laughs> the, you know the talented Anita <laughs> the talented to see you Anita. Yeah. Uh, let me say something about uh, are you done with the yes those were those are you were quite my, done <laughs> I am <laughs> um, that's a that's a lot and and all of these things like I reserve the right uh, to completely change my opinion on the Massa Charter. Yes. If, Likewise. If, I'm going to add that disclaimer. Yeah. No, you, because I don't, you don't know how these things play out. Exactly. I mean, honestly, if like there's a, a, you know, some kind of, I don't know how they do it, but if there's some kind of um, straw vote in Iran mm-hmm. and uh, 80 million people say we love the Massa Charter, who am I to have, think right. it's, it's too much too soon or something. Go ahead. Take it. That's great. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but r- r- my initial reaction was, some of the people who have, are taking issue with this uh, have a point. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the one, one thing I want to mention, though, um, and it's uh, it, it, with the Iran-Saudi uh, question, mm-hmm. I mentioned Iran International, yes. and, and we've regularly, not regularly, but we've a few times had folks from Iran International here. Uh, I think a lot of the people at that network do really good work. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think their heart is in the right place, et cetera. But... Iran International is ultimately a. It's funded by Saudi, right? Saudi funds. It's funded by you know that com- the the funding comes from Saudi Arabia. That's right. And so, um, ultimately, unfortunately, and I know Iran International says it's independent, mm-hmm. but you know, 
Uh, it's not. They're keeping <laughs> They're, the lights on. It's, it's as independent as, as yeah. I mean, you yeah. you ultimately are beholden to those who, you know, the, who del- deliver the funding. And if mm-hmm. and if the I don't know if this is true. The stuff we've heard about Iran saying to Saudi Arabia, you need to curb back the funding to Iran International, or tell them they can't be as ideological or as aggressive against the regime, or any of that. There's a lot of that chatter going on. Maybe it's all untrue, mm-hmm. but it is true that if you are um, if you, if your stakeholders are, are are big and if your stakeholders are, are national or a country, mm-hmm. you know it's uh, you're going to be beholden to them. Yeah. It's it's uh, and so uh, it's an important time for independent media. Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, there are and you know one of the things in our in the Rook Charter, uh, the is it Manchur's charter. Yes. Yeah. The Rook Manchur. <laughs> Is that uh, we do not want to be beholden to mm-hmm. any um, big sort of funding, unless it's a lot of money. <laughs> no, I, I kid, I kid. We we are not. We are we are independent, and um, we depend on on our uh, dear audience to help mm-hmm. crowdfund this, and and some of our advertisers and people who who've sponsored us over the over the years. Um, and so, if you want to be part of that and keep this sort of independent voice alive. We are, no one tells us what to do editorially. We are not beholden to anyone. No, no sponsor or advertiser has ever um, dared, quite frankly, to say, <laughs> you can't have this person on or you shouldn't say this. That That is the uh, whole point of editorial um, and creative autonomy that we have with Rook. So we're committed to that mission. And if you like what you hear and what we do here, um, please become one of our Rook members at our Patreon page. Um, and uh, you go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com, and you press the Support Us button. It takes you to the Patreon page where you can become a bronze, gold, or silver sponsor, and uh, that's a, a small monthly fee, and you get some, um, in exchange, you get some Rook special gifts from us. Uh, uh, and so we um, we really appreciate people who sign up and become, especially if you you guys out there who are regular listeners. If you have the means, this is a way of keeping us going, keeping us alive, and keeping us um, not funded by any particular interest group. So uh, go to our rookmedia.com. I want to uh, make make it a tradition here to mention our new Patreon members. So we have a silver mm-hmm. member, uh, Sarah Karimi. Thank you to Sarah Karimi. Uh, any relation to Ali Carry Me, do you think? Not that I know of. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Well, Let Sarah. us know, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah Carry Me, well, that'd be nice. Yeah, that uh, would be. I guess. Uh, Sarah Carry Me, you are a silver sponsor. We appreciate it. We'd love you guys to become part of our uh, Rook members Patreon page. Uh, please do. Thank you, Pega. Thank you. It was a lot. Yes. Thanks for doing all that research and, and uh, for educating us, and we'll see you Thursday. See you soon. Um, okay. Let's get to our first guest, Nikki Nojumi, the legendary Iranian-American artist, uh, coming up in just a little bit. But first, my first guest is an Iranian dancer, choreographer, actor, and entrepreneur. She has been dedicating herself and her significant uh, platform to the cause of freedom in Iran in recent months. Kosar Abbasi is based in the... (laughs) Did I say that wrong? No, I I liked it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll continue with my introduction. Kosar Abbasi is based in Los Angeles now, but 
she had quite a life journey getting there. She was born and raised in the Khuzestan province in Iran during the Iran-Iraq War. Kosad moved to India at the age of 19, where her career as a dancer began. She subsequently performed in numerous television shows, stage performances, royalty events across India, won several awards. Then she moved to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and after that to Los Angeles, where she has lived and worked since 2016. Kosad is the founder of KLX, which is a training app that helps people to have their best yoga practices and training at home. And you have seen her in music videos and such shows as The Silver Poet with Hushenga Tozi as an actor and as a dancer. She has been very active since the killing of Masa Amini, including performing at demonstrations, recording and posting some powerful videos in social media, and being the choreographer for several musical theater performances and plays in California in recent months and right now. Kosad Abbasi joins me from Los Angeles. Hello. Hi. Good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's nice to finally have you on the show. I've known you for some time, and I appreciate your work, and I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Um, Kosad John, I want to get into your story um, a little bit, and I want to ask you about some specifics in terms of the things you've been doing um, with this new revolution. But as a general question, just to start, you've been so very active in this uprising since September. If you were to, to boil it down to one thing, what would you say has most inspired you to be as involved as you have? Iranian women. Always, always. Iranian women are have been really inspiring to me. Plus, always Middle Eastern women, especially my own roots. I'm inspired by my own women before my own time and now the new generation, and I'm proud. Okay, well, that's I, that's a perfect segue because um, <laughs> let's go into your roots and and uh, perhaps the women in your life. You're you're a kid from Khuzestan who was born. Yes in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war. You lived in Iran mm -hmm. for the first 19 years of your life. Uh, yes. tell, tell us what the impact of being a kid during the war, especially in that region, which as some folks will know, was the <laughs> epicenter of a, a lot of the attacks during that war. Uh, growing up under the Islamic Republic, growing up in that area, growing up as a kid during the war, what would you say the impact of all of that was on you? Uh, of course, like any other kid who is born in such a traumatic environment, I grew up with a lot of those trauma. And um, I believe just being in an art journey helped me to dig into them and go through the healing process. But I always have that uh, sometime, you know, we heard a lot of bombing. We saw a lot of people being killed and dead. I was like, I believe I was like four when the war was over. And I remember, um, you know, very pictures of what I saw as a kid. And of course, um, I'm from that area. I was born and brought up here. My parents, my relatives, we were one of those people, like any other families there, we got the damage of the war in our own personal lives as well. So it's, it was something that I lived with it and I grew up with it. And uh, those cities, uh, they were damaged during the war. And unfortunately, after the Islamic uh, Republic came into power and started that war, after the war, they never ever uh, 
fix those cities. Mm -hmm. No one paid mm -hmm. attention to those cities. And people in those cities started suffering more um, till today, which, um, you know, for years and years and years in Khuzestan, like Abadan, Khuramshar, Mahshar, there were always water problems. We, we issued a lot of water problems. We issued a lot of um, polluted air. Like a lot of people in Khuzestan, they suffer from asthma. Mm -hmm. A lot of women are not able to get pregnant because of whatever chemical stuff that has been used. Like out of 50 people in a family, maybe one or two, they have difficulties mm -hmm. to bring children or even more. I, I'm, I really don't know that number because I never done that specific research on it. But um, I grew up with that. Yeah. And I still hear how much my people have been suffering. And then it used to come to the mindset, you know, it was interesting. It was absolutely two different worlds. We had people who were very conservative and we women, we girls, we had zero rights. And at the same time, we had this all open-minded, like my own father, uh, educated. They knew what's happening outside of the world as like Khuzestani men. But it was, a you know, um, crazy time. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said all of that about the war because I, I sometimes feel, in fact, I feel some guilt about this, that we don't spend enough time talking about the implications of the Iran-Iraq war. You know, we talk a lot about there was a revolution and this Islamic Republic came and the Ayatollahs and all that. But then there's this war that has a major impact. Obviously, a million people die on both sides of Iran-Iraq. But I, and I think I've told you this before, that one side of my family, my father's side is, is Khuzestani. My dad was born in Abadan. And I have a family member who, just like you, grew up during the Iran-Iraq war. And he says, even now, I mean, he'll he'll hear a, a loud sound and sort of turn around and and be scarred by that bombing and and he says even now part of his reticence you know we've talked about how the the new young kids of Iran have been so brave these young women and and boys who've been on the front lines of this uprising he says even now part of his reticence to to even go to rallies here in Toronto is the scars of what he went through during the Iran-Iraq war and and we don't often pay enough attention to that I think for that for that cohort for that generation absolutely and I think it's very important because the damage we cannot measure the damage even me myself as a person who has lived that life when I want to you know digest it there are I, I realize there are so much that I I still living 20 years out of Iran being a dancer you know, live life, I still see that are part of me which is like dragging me down and I'm a fighter. I have to fight every day and, you know, push myself. But of course, I'm in touch with people I love and care. And um, I can see, I can see uh, every year as it passes by since the time I was a kid and remember, these people are getting more... Um, suppressed more yeah. depressed more um and all they're doing they're just moving on you know they they're just living life they just you know they just go day by day in a hope that one day this is going to change yeah i hear that from my family a lot 
It's interesting when you say I've been a dancer for the last 20 years. You weren't always a dancer in Iran. I mean, I understand you've always loved dance, uh, which is who we know you as today. But you were actually planning to go into medicine, I understand. And in fact, you leave Iran for India when you're 19. This is, I guess, around 2003 to study medicine. Did, Did you believe that a life as a performer was just not an option for you in Iran? No, honestly, I don't know from a very, very young age, maybe around four or five, if I can remember right, I I knew this is not the life I want to live. I knew there is something more into this life. And I always was picturing myself in a dance costume, dancing on stage. Um, and of course, I was a very good student. I was one of the top students in school. And my parents, they were very tough on education. Like any other Iranian parents, I supposed to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. And not only a doctor, a heart surgeon. It's like, <laughs> right. that's right. This, You can't just be a normal doctor. Hopefully, no, you also have a degree surgeon. in engineering. But yes, yes. <laughs> heart surgeon and i tell my mom i am a heart surgeon now hmm. five minutes i dance all hearts are ah, okay ah, for ah, that five yes. minutes <laughs> yes. um i i left iran i promised my parents that i'm gonna study pharmacy and i studied but uh, i never wanted to become a pharmacist i kind of you know just if i want to be honest now i was lying at that time i was just trying to lie to my parents and then the second year I called them and I said, I'm not going to become a doctor. I don't like to be in a pharmacy. I don't want to be in hospital. Then my dad asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to be dancing. I'm a dancer. I dance. That's it. <laughs> How did that go over with, uh, with your dad? Uh, my dad, was a, he's an interesting person. He told me, I do not understand dance as a career, mm. was as an art form it ha- i haven't been able to digest it but i know that your generation is different with mine and he told me a beautiful sentence i said that two years ago in another interview he said when you as daughters stand up in front of your fathers and take your right this country will change wow. take your right from me prescient and, yeah he was talking about now this moment yes Yes, that's that's I was I'm blessed. That's a kind of a father I grew up with. He was not understanding me, but he didn't stop me at the same time. When you go to India, you're this, you know, 19 year old, you're sensibly going there to study, as you say, pharmacy, uh, medicine. Uh, What was the was there a particular moment or was there an evolution where you discover, oh, I'm talented and I love dance. This is something I'm going to do. I knew I'm talented before going to it. I knew I'm talented in dance from a very young age. How did you I know? How did you know? I used to do all Michael Jackson's, all dancing, like do belly dancing. I was always a center of attention in any gathering, wedding, anywhere. When I used to start dancing, everybody was going. Oh, wow. Give me the space. Right. And... Um, I knew I, um, I'm a dancer. I'm, a, I'm mostly a self-taught dancer till I went to India. And um, it was the second week when I got hired, when I arrived to Where India. Where were second... you in India? Were you in Pune? Or... I went to Pune. Yeah. yeah. I went to Pune. I went to college. And uh, one of my classmates, he was an African rapper. 
he invited me to an event and when I went to an event um, I just went on stage that's it <laughs> it seems like you were doing quite well in India what um, what yeah. precipitated the move to Kuala Lumpur and then I understand when you get to Malaysia that has a major impact on your dancing because you find a large and fertile Iranian community there um, yeah. t- tell me about the move to Malaysia and how Malaysia inspired you I had a very amazing life as a dancer in India, as you know, is the country of dance. And I thought I'm going to live my life there because I had everything as a dancer. But then when the Neda, Rasultan and Green Movement happened, that was the time I started feeling guilty, Hmm. to be honest. Because before that, I said, I'm not going to dance Iranian. I'm not going to speak Farsi. I'm not going to listen to Iranian song. I am a different person. I don't have nationality. I just want to live life. Wow. And then the green movement inspires you to come back to your home, to the roots. Yeah. Big time. When I saw the video, my life changed. My life changed because I, it was emotionally, it impacted me big time. I don't know how long I cried, one week, two weeks. And then I realized that um, how much I miss my roots and how much I, um, I felt responsible to be the voice of my own life, mm-hmm. be the voice of a lot of people's life like me who just have a dream to be a dancer. That's a basic dream that any girl can have in any other yeah. country. Yeah. So I feel really guilty. Was it ever a consideration to go back to Iran? No, never. When I left Iran, I said, I'm done. I'm done with this country. I'm done with this mentality. I'm done with me not being able to be me. I'm a woman. I want to live life. I choose for myself. I decide and no one can tell me what to do. Mm. And I want to dance. And as a dancer, my instrument is my body. Don't tell me how much it's supposed to be covered. What a style of dance I have to do. Mm. Whatever I decide, if you like, you appreciate. If you don't, go watch something else. (laughs) That was my, um, always my Pat, and it still is. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about um, Malaysia, but it's a, uh, it's an Islamic country as well. The freedom that you were talking about, that you were craving, that you were living mm-hmm. for, w- did you find that in Kuala Lumpur? It's a bit weird, to be honest. Um, as much as I loved to stay in India and I felt okay, in Malaysia I was able to be free, but at the same time, there were a part of us that it was certain looks were heavy on us, of course, especially if you were a non-Iranian, like a, like a European or a Chinese lady dancing, any type of a dance. It was more acceptable yeah. till they know you are Iranian because they expected you to be a Muslim practical woman, like. Uh, if she's from Iran, if it's, she's Muslim, is are she supposed to do this? I faced it a, little, a little bit in Malaysia, and of course, I got into a problem. What I heard that was with the Islamic immigration of Malaysia, and that was the time they rejected my work visa second year, and they put the red stamp and they deported me to Iran. Which that's another story, mm-hmm. how I escaped. 
Um, yeah, Malaysia is has um, um, Tanagos. I don't know the right word in English. It's just you don't know where you stand. Sorry, the the it's another story. How I escaped. Is there a quick version of that story? Because that sounds. <laughs> yes, I practically ran away from the building. Uh-huh. Yeah, they deported me. They said you have to go back to Iran with at this date in fourteen days with this flight, Iran Air flight. I'm like, watch me. <laughs> wow, look at you! I'm not going back. So you, so you, you, you had sanctuary at the UN or what or what? No, I just ran away from the building. In one moment, the survival mode, my survival yeah. mode got activated. Uh, I, I, I had to go with an agent to the seventh floor for me, for my paper to be signed for, with the high commission or something like that. Mm. So before reaching to the seventh floor, I just run away from the staircases and I just ran. I just ran maybe for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And then when I was like, now I have to go somewhere, I called a friend and she told me, go to United Nations office. I went to United Nations office. They told me we cannot take you in. Take this piece of paper Hmm. with the name and a date. Come back in five months. And in these five months, don't get caught. If you get caught, you'll be deported. We can't do anything. Wow. So, So what did you do? For five months i i improvised <laughs> oh wow i mean this you've been through a lot but yes and um sometimes i'm like why i had to go through a lot and sometimes mm. i am like it i supposed to be who i am today so although i have to tell you this is this is my mantra i've been i always explain this to people you know, with Iranians, uh, I mean, doing this show for the last three years, I can tell you, with almost anybody, when you scratch beneath the surface a little bit, I mean, you'll say, oh, you're a successful dentist in San Diego, and how fun, and then you scratch beneath the surface a little bit, and they'll say, they'll say well, yeah, well, I had to walk across the border barefoot to Pakistan to get, I mean, the whole thing, everyone's got these stories, right? I mean, as a product of what has happened in the last four decades, no one is Absolutely. untouched by that so you you end up in in los angeles and of course you've um um you you're you're not just a your survival instincts are not just strong but your entrepreneurial instincts i called you an entrepreneur in the beginning you're not just talented and of course you know i'm a a fan i've seen you perform but but also uh you you've got this knack for business you you, yoga etc you've got a number of different projects it always seems on the go something that was interesting for me kosar was that the only version of you I've known in the short time I've, you know, some interactions we've had over the last year or two is that you're a very friendly, sort of accessible, um, you know, a smile on your face kind of person. It was quite jarring uh, in the week or so after Masai Amini was killed, seeing the video that you posted, which was very powerful. I was very angry about the, um, you were angry about, you know, uh, it was ostensibly about the illegality of dance in Iran, which of course we, we know about. But I could see that viscerally, that that you were just so angry it was such a it was such a um a, it was it was it was coming at you out of the screen in terms of watching you um tell me about that tell me about those first weeks of this uprising and what was going on with you emotionally i am 
angry, Jian. I am angry because um, we mm. deserve to live life. I am angry because, as a, as a human, that I just wanted to dance. I had to go through so much, face so much of danger in my life, and the life that I have been living now. I want that for my cousins. I want that for my for their daughters, for their sons, and. Who has no one has the right to control any other human being? These these I'm angry with these people. I'm angry with my I was so much angry with my own parents that they accepted that. Um, I I'm still angry, and I feel the only thing has been helping me all these years to, you know, at least um, this anger doesn't cause me more damage is dance and yoga if i am doing it all the time because i'm it's helping me and um mm -hmm. why dance should be illegal why dance should be something that a lot of people don't respect it when a woman does it dancing is the first and most powerful way of self-expression look at look at birthdays look at weddings why do what any anyone anybody from any kind of a career job mindset yeah. when they come to the dance floor on a wedding or any family they just not they are the they are the freest version of themselves in that moment yeah. that's the only moment this mind it doesn't have judgment doesn't have logical it doesn't stop this body like we i have a lot of argument with the spiritual people when they want to say spirituality is something else no the highest level of spirituality is my physical being you cannot argue that this is the highest stage and kosa as you would know i mean this would be tragic and infuriating in any in any country in any culture to to suppress people from being able to move their bodies but particularly in Persian culture and Iranians like to dance right that's that's kind yes. of what we do we are crazy dancers yeah. <laughs> so it almost seems like a it's it's a, a direct slap in the face to the culture it's it's I guess I mean it, I was gonna say it's it's good timing there's nothing good about this news but I, I understand but I appreciate the timing of you coming on the program today because you may have just heard the news just came out that you, you're obviously aware of those Iranian girls who made the video last week in, in um, yeah. Tehran's Ekbatori uh, neighborhood dancing unveiled to yeah. the song Calm Down. So their video went viral, as we all know. Uh, today there are reports that they've been arrested, forced I'm into sure. confessions. Uh, I was going to get your reaction to that. I, I, I was waiting for it, John. Like I was wondering why they haven't done it till today. I have, was 100% sure. Imagine to me the first thing we, especially as Iranian, have to learn and appreciate more is to support dance. Dance is the strongest fight because it creates happiness. And what these mullahs don't want is me and you to be happy. And I honestly, I, I don't know what else I can do. I have been talking yesterday till 10, 11 o'clock at night in my bed with my friends. What else shall we do mm. today? Because I was 100% sure they're going to arrest them. Mm. Honestly, 
I did not share the video. I'm like, this video is going viral and they're going to be arrested the next week. Well, they were... My heart hurts, they... really. Like, it hurt. it's hurting me. It's really hurting me. <laughs> Sorry. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And this has to change. I personally, like you, like anybody, I'm not going to stop fighting. This has to change. Even if I have to dedicate all my life, all my art into it, I'm, I'm doing it. And I don't want any, my purpose in life change. I thought I, that's my goal. This is my dream. No, I don't see anything, any purpose above that that the new generation Iran danced freely in Iran, wherever they want, however they want to do it. I'm sorry for being so emotional. No, no, don't, you know, you know, you know, you shouldn't be sorry for that. Can I ask you, do you feel like this question of, you know, the the regime, the, the, this, these mullahs don't want us to be happy, don't want us to dance. How do you feel about, um, Noruz is coming up in a couple of weeks. Are you? Do you feel like there? Is it okay to be? I don't know. Joyous at Noruz, or would you think we should tamper it down a bit? What's your feeling about that? I will take your question to the first thing you asked me. I am born and brought up in Bandar Mashar, Khuzestan. I am Bandari. The most beautiful thing that inspires me about my people is that whatever happens, whatever happens, end of the day, they say, this is it, Nehambun, home back, let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> we Iranian, we are really powerful people. They say we didn't live normal. No, we did not have a normal life. So our strength, our inspiration also is not normal. We have to celebrate. We should not let them to put us to this black sorrow, calm, like sadness. We need to fight it and break through it. It's not disrespectful? Are Actually, you... because I am in touch with my people in Iran, mm -hmm. and they say we want to celebrate. We want to be happy. doesn't matter how much they do to us. We want to be happy. That's what I hear from my cousins. That's what my father wants from me. Yeah. My father, every time he talks to me and he sees, he knows me very well. When he sees this energy that I am like nervous, I'm angry, I'm sad. He says, if you don't dance, I don't forgive you. You have to go wow. and dance and make people dance, make them happy. Wow. Recharge them. So if I have a tool to recharge myself or recharge people around me, I do to do more. We have to celebrate life. We have to celebrate all those people who gave their lives for us to keep this culture, this, keep, to change this. That's how I see it. It's a great perspective. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that perspective. Thank you. Uh, let me just ask you, I know I can't keep you forever, but let me ask you about a couple of the the pieces that you've done uh, recently and that I, I, I found particularly powerful. You did a a dance piece that was a tribute to uh, Majid Reza Rahnavad. Uh, he's the young man, I think, that um, people will remember was executed. He was Mashad, right? 
Um, yes. Yeah. And he was the one that said, I don't want, I want people to be smiling. I don't want people to be, to be sad. So t- tell me about doing that piece for him. Um, I knew what he's talking about. I knew, um, you know, um, all these young guys in Iran, they have a kind of a leadership or life coaching, you know, uh, style. So he was kind of um, coaching us. He was leading us that don't let they, when they execute someone like him, they want us to be sad. They want us to be fearful. They want us to not do the things that we want to do again. So he was telling us not to do it. So I, at the same time, I wanted to follow what he says and dance for him. And I, I tried, how can I, uh, you know, at the same time, heal this pain for myself. So I chose a dance that in Iran, in South of Iran, in Khuzestan, they use for pe- young people who die. Another beauty of Khuzestan, like Izeh, like Mashar, most of the time when a young person dies, instead of crying or playing Quran or anything like that, they celebrate that life. Mm. Like like Indians, like, you know, and I I have been in those countries. To me, that's very touching and beautiful. We celebrate them. They are not there anymore. We have to celebrate them instead of bringing the negativity on us that the government wants to be negative, you know? This is um, a really, um, I appreciate these insights of yours. You've performed at demonstrations in Los Angeles. We've seen some big demonstrations now, and, and we've seen, um, uh, I hear different things coming out of uh, LA. I hear there's, it's amazing, look at the, and then I hear some people saying, there's a, 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 as ever, there's different factions, and you know, this person doesn't like that person, and this person doesn't think we should be celebrating, and this person's angry, and um, what, what, what have the demonstrations in Los Angeles been like for you? Because obviously I've seen you've been very active there. Of course, in, um we have teamwork issue as culture. So um, 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 for me, I am um, I, I, I am with whoever does anything, I do my part. So for me has been a great experience. But we don't, I think if we follow two factor, it can help us more. It, that's my observation. First of all, stop um nagging at each other that oh you do this you don't do this okay whatever i think is right that i should do i should do everyone in a teamwork whatever i am good at i have to take care of that i don't need to give my opinion in each and everything that is not you know in my abilities um you see we all iranian we all are doctors (laughs) even if we have a study (laughs) <laughs> or not mm-hmm. so that's I think that's what we suffer here what's the second thing uh, and second thing is uh, I forgot what I wanted to say first was <laughs> <laughs> the first one was too good yes <laughs> it was very good yes that's the thing and we okay we are very emotional people mm. we are very emotional Los Angeles is kind of um we are iranian and uh, it's amazing because if we 
as example in Los Angeles can come up with this beautiful harmony and democracy way of living together. Like there are people who have come 40 years ago before the revolution here, they have lived with a, a specific mindset in a certain box. Mm-hmm. And then we have Jewish community where they have tried to keep their community, keep their culture and mindset, Mm. and very carefully they interact with others. And then there are all these Iranian Armenian who have come and they all gathered in one area to be in touch with their Armenian culture. And at the same time, they, they still miss some of their Iranian culture. Then there is us who have been born and brought up in Iran with a different environment, knowing Iran differently than we all have come here. I think there has been a chaos of not knowing each other. And in a country which Arabo, Turk, Baluch, this Lord, that, we have always had separation even inside that little land. Our jokes are bullying each other's language, mm. slangs. So this has been, this is a small Iran, LA. Los Angeles is a small Iran. That's why it's called Tehran, it's really right. And uh, I believe, especially this revolution, it's brought us to face each other. Mm. Especially now, I see a lot of Iranian who are born and brought up here until today, they didn't even want to go for Nooruz. They were fighting with their parents, Mama, I'm not coming, I'm going with my friends. And now, they are more active than us. Right, yes, yes, yes. So there is a change. I can see this change last five, six years that I'm, I'm myself here. And the way um, people ask me questions has changed. Yeah. You're you're so right about all that, including what I call the, the rebirth of Iranian pride, something that we've, if it, it, it let's hope the, the sooner rather than later, the, the end game is the, the toppling of this regime and a new and a free and a, a democratic and a, se- a secular Iran. But but if those who started this, those brave souls in Iran have given a gift to the rest of us, it's been mm-hmm. that we have, as a product of that, as a global community, f- refound our own pride and our own ability to shout at the rooftops that, you know, I mean, you were born and growing up in the Iran-Iraq war. I was here as a little kid, and it wasn't fun to be Iranian all those years. We learned to to hide in the ethnic closet, and and you know to be to get to a point now where there's a demonstration. Uh, you know, back in in October or September when we did the first demonstration in downtown Toronto. You know, a bunch of Iranians in the main street. You know, saying, "We." I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that in my whole life. It was, it was so empowering. You know, it was incredibly empowering. Uh, on that note, and as a final question to you, and I'm so grateful that you're on the show and the time you've given us. Uh, let you. me let me ask you. You know, uh, we know that this this revolution is going to have its. It, 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 we keep saying it's a marathon, not a sprint. We can't expect everything to happen overnight. But it's been a couple of tough weeks, you know. We're realizing yes. that the EU is not going to put the IRGC on the terrorist list. Those ambassadors are not being called home. It looks like the Biden administration might be 
trying to angle for a deal. And, you know, when we do these interviews, as we've done our series, The Voices from Inside Iran, Kosai, we, there's a lot of these people, the young people in Iran who have been the frontline protesters saying they're feeling quite hopeless right now. And they're feeling like mm-hmm. there's not a lot going on in Iran because everybody's been terrified by this regime. And h- how are you feeling about where the movement is at today? I um, I believe that a lot of people got hopeless. I see and hear that around myself too. I have a, a Iran Zanzibar Azadi flags on my car, and most of them even behind the traffic light. I see people bring the window down. A lot of Iranian they say the question. You think it's going to change with a very sad, hopeless face? Um, I see that is happening um, and I don't blame anybody because this is really a scary and depressing seeing people getting blind killed and uh, when it comes to the European and American governments that's not something that we have been dealing um, last 40 years uh, or 30 years of it that I am living life reading the history it's tells us that we have something really huge to deal and fight with. But we don't win when we stop moving. As a dancer, I see everything as moving. Next move, next move, next move, next move. Hmm. We we just have to move on. We don't, we cannot afford giving up. Um, And um, I am hoping that everybody start to be hopeful again. Um, not only we are fighting a huge terrorist organization, which is a very mafia system, we are fighting European government, yeah. US government, yeah. Saudi Arabia, China, Russia. Wow, we are fighting the whole world kind of. Yeah. So it's not easy. I am as a person as well, there are times that in my lonely time, I'm like, is it possible? But then something in my heart says, no, we win. I am hopeful. Even when I feel hopeless, I still have faith. And there is this sentence I say for the last, I read it in a book called The Book of Creativity. Um, you have to have faith when there is no reason to have faith. Mm. And the most beautiful, authentic things come out of a chaos. A brilliant thing comes out of a chaos. You have to destroy to create and build something new. And um, Rumi and Office, they talk about that a lot. And I want to listen to that. Um, like I, I'm learning from it and I'm just sharing it. We have to have faith. I'm so grateful for you, really. Thank you. That you're Me out there. Uh, you're grateful for yourself as well. Uh, no, for you too. <laughs> I really am. I really am grateful that you're out there uh, representing the way you are. It's it, it, it. Your your voice is so significant, and this you've said so much in this interview that I, I think is so valuable. Um, thank you for this. I, I hope we do it again soon, and I hope. Uh, um, we do. We see better days soon as well. Thank you. I'm grateful for you too because you create a space like that that I am. I can just talk from my heart without you know thinking and knowing what you're gonna ask me next. 
Thanks for creating this space. I appreciate you. Merci. Thank you again and khodafiz. Khodafiz. is Rook, episode 246, The Uprising, We Should Be Allowed to Dance. Well, my next guest is a renowned Iranian-American artist who became a major driver in building a profound and acclaimed political body of work, taking social power and justice as its subject, Niki Nojumi was born and raised in Kermanshah. He obtained his master's in fine arts from the City College of New York in 1974. He then went back to Iran, became politically engaged in the quest for freedom and democracy against the Iranian government by designing statement posters and satirical drawings. This is back to the 1970s. He participated in protests before and after the revolution, which of course led him to jail with the Islamic Republic and led him to leave Iran and return to New York. Nikki is now very involved in creating and posting works against this current regime during this uprising. His works, of course, are in several prominent institutional collections worldwide. But first, right now, the acclaimed artist Nikki Nojumi joins me from, from Brooklyn, Brooklyn New, York New York today. today. Hello, Hello sir. sir. Thank you, Jean. I'm honored to be your guest today. It's 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 so good. It's been a while since you were last on the program, and it's always an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Uh, Nikki, I guess I have to start with the obvious. I mean, you've been not just an artist, but an activist for years, especially through your art. Uh, you were imprisoned by the Islamic Republic regime back when they first came to power. Did you ever think you would see the day when the global Iranian community is this galvanized uh, and unified, you might say, for change? From the beginning of the revolution, which for a few months I defended, uh, I never imagine that I'd be seeing the day that we're seeing right now. It's been wonderful, wonderful occasion because I'm witnessing the progress of uh, four years of uh, dictatorship and amazingly suppression of the brutal government that has been recognized by not only we, but all over the world. Well, you've been actively making art against the mullahs for, you know, for a long time. Do you, do you almost feel like I was thinking about you and thinking about the way what we're going through over these last six months and feeling like you must almost sense that Iranians are catching up to where you've been for many years. Does it feel that way? Exactly. Since the day I was arrested in the beginning of the revolution, actually during the time of the Nojer coup d'etat, you were supposed to be the front of the coup d'etat, which I was arrested, and I spent the night in the prison, and I met Mr. Khalfali, and, you know, uh, I was convicted to 100 lashes. I realized the justice that is happening in that, in that moment, that environment, is not the justice that we were looking for. It was totally undemocratic, totally without any anything that you can imagine. So 
Since then, I struggled against the regime, and up to now, I have done lots of, uh, you know, caricature painting, a lot of things. But I did this in my private setting. Mm. I would send it to some of the internet sites, but not like these days. This is this is what happened after Massa Amini was killed. Then. When you say that you never thought these days would come, uh, and what what has been the most inspirational part of it for you? As I said, the whole thing, this 44 years, it was a constant struggle. It was my preoccupation that, you know, whatever I do is against the government. But one thing made it much more urgent was the, you know, the killing of Massa Amini. And that by itself really sparked not only the emotion that I had, it become much more urgent to me. That makes my heart boiling. Mm-hmm. I want to do something more. You, I've, I've noticed you're currently, your social media platforms are entirely given over to the uprising. It's it's all of, at least what you're publicly posting is all about the uprising. Is is that the focus of any and all art you are currently inspired to make, or or is that just what we see? In other words, are you uh, putting that stuff up and, and then painting meadows in the <laughs> privately, or is this what you're really occupied with? And I'm mostly yes, but at, at the same time, I'm doing my my own painting, which are also related to the uh, to the struggle that we're going. And also, we are we are having a group by the name Art, Culture, and Action, which is a group of uh, artists uh, and practitioners of art and the writers. Um, around the time when Massa Regina Amini was killed, uh, and our duty is to defend, you know, the uh, students, uh, teachers, all the writers, uh, scholars, women's women's right uh, to defend them, to document the whole struggle. Some of your pieces have been so powerful. There's one that I think of that I think you did early in this uprising. Um, that it's got women, life, freedom um, written on it. And it's, I, I believe it's Khomeini. And then out of the inside of Khomeini's robe is uh, a powerful female figure emerging. Can you speak to, to that piece? As I said, all these years, I have done many, many of these uh, subjects to express what my feeling is. And mm. the subject was always the suppression of the woman, and also always the sexuality of um, the Islamic Republic, which is really, um, to me, is the core of all the decisions that they make about the woman. It's, it's interesting because you, you inadvertently, I'm not sure if it was inadvertent, but you, you segued into my next question, which was how much of what you do at this stage is cathartic for you. In other words, you're expressing, as you just said, the emotions that need to come out. And how much of it is sort of directed in terms of what you want to 
the messaging you want to put out to the to, to the global community. Many of your pieces are um, they're quite clear in terms of their interpretation. I mean, some of them even have you know, let's stop the mullahs, end of the mullahs, etc. On them. Um, so, is is the incentive personal or is the incentive um, really wanting to be part of the the uprising somehow? And this this being your contribution. I did most of this work during these past 44 years without any notion that is going to be seen in the public. Now, when I look back at those work, um, I know the audience. I know that, you know, the people that would take a look and realize what what mm-hmm. is being done. But what has been done actually has been done like 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yes, it's true. I mean, you have been incredibly consistent in your work. Uh, and, and there's a lot of talk these days about how there's been this explosion of political art that's come out uh, during this uprising. And like I say, people are kind of catching up to, to what you've been doing for, for decades, but, right? You're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm really amazed by the quality and quantity of artworks, performance, that is coming out of this revolution. At the time, in 1979, there was not many people doing this thing. But now, everybody doing And they do a fantastic job. Beautiful. Yes, yes. There's really, really powerful imagery happening. There is a comparatively modest-sized Iranian community in New York where you've lived for years. But there have been some impressive demonstrations there in recent months. How have you seen the community, the the Iranian community, and particularly the one in New York, change or grow in the last six months? Again, this revolution, this new revolution changing everything. One of the things that I've been in New York for a long time and I've I've seen demonstration before, even previous regime, at the most 100, 150 people have would come to the demonstration. But recent demonstration in New York, thousands of thousands of people are marching in the street. It's just mind-boggling that, uh, you know, some of these demonstrations that you go, you so proud of the, you know, participation of the Iranian young, mostly young generation. You know, there's, there's, we've been talking about this confluence of feelings, these paradoxical feelings that all of us have had over the last um, six months. On the one hand, the inspiration that you're just talking about, the energy that we get from seeing the the unity or the numbers in the streets or the the, the people around the world who are part of this uh, uprising. On the other hand, the heartbreak and the devastation of what the regime has been doing that you referenced earlier. Nikki, how have you processed all the ways that this regime has cracked down on the Iranian people in recent months, including the new and quite devastating information that there there has been the intentional poisoning of Iranian schoolgirls and, and university students. This is, again, um, coming from the one of the most brutal regime of all time and they not they're not short of any any ideas to suppress the, this uh, amazing movement that started with the you know massive you know i mean so they know they 
they'd be defeated. But the, this is the last straw for them. I mean, with everything that this regime has done, uh, obviously there was even the executions back in the 80s, but can, can you even conceive of anything over the last 44 years that is worse than than poison attacks on, on school children? I haven't seen anything like them. This is, this, is, uh, this is our children. How come they don't even think about it? But this is their own children. This is a crime. This is a crime against humanity. Yeah, it's definitely a crime against humanity, uh, uh, war crimes. You said that um, this regime has been defeated. Um, there, there, would, there would be a lot of people who would contest that and say that the regime hasn't been defeated uh, just yet. Uh, do you believe the regime has been defeated? Well, there will be the time, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next month, but the, the, the action by itself, this is desperate, desperate action in their, in their part to do. It's not working. Even, even we can see it, you know, if they come up with the new tactics, uh, people are going more in the street and yell more in the street. So yeah. there, isn't, there is no end to it until the, the regime is done. I mean, amongst those who don't seem to believe that the regime is defeated, is the the U.S. government currently? I mean, you're an Iranian American. You've been living in the states for over four decades, um, five decades for that matter. How do you feel, Nikki, about the the Biden administration's response to the situation so far? We're we're even hearing chatter about there there being an appetite to to resuscitate the nuclear deal. Are you disappointed in the role that America has been playing and and not being more aggressive in terms of supporting? Uh, or, or not enabling the, the regime uh, beyond sort of lip service that we've heard from some of the people in the administration? Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. I cannot believe Biden administration doing such a thing that they they are. He showed the hypocrisy of the uh, government of the United States that once time they defend the struggle of people of Iran, then on the, on the other side, on the under the table, they talk, you know, what do you appease uh, the government of Iran? And I think the people are in the street. They cannot stop them. Let's, uh, let's hope so. Um, you know, you know these things. I mean, you've been watching these things. What do you think the agenda of the Biden administration is? I mean, it's obviously not necessarily supporting the people in the streets of Iran. What, what, is, the, what is the incentive to keep the regime there? I'm not a political analyst. Um, but I can I can feel Islamic regime is beneficial to the uh, interests of the government of the United States. Nikki, you've lived through a, a revolution that went very wrong. Um, how do you believe we mitigate against that happening again somehow? It's one thing to to, to topple the regime, it's another to make sure that something worse or as bad doesn't uh, doesn't come in its place. Um, what wisdom can you share about that? In my experiences, we can predict. We cannot really come up with a clear idea that how we do. But my observation is telling me that uh, uh, people are cautious people are determined for the change but they they do it 
smartly. They're not going to do it right away. They're not going to do it like 1979 when we just didn't realize, even didn't think that who are these people that are coming mm-hmm. and governing us. And people, people with that experience, they are cautiously going forward in order to come up with this real practical solution that could establish a real democracy. Do you have an opinion on these different opposition leaders that have emerged and and even this new, um, I don't know, Massa Charter or, or um, Manchur that they've put out? I'm supporting every kind of Manchur or Charter that is coming out right now. Um, I think the new one also is good. There are some points in it that is might might be controversial, but uh, any charter that comes along and have the point that the people have been fighting for and include those points in all of them, I would support them. Um, a final question to you, Nikki. Uh, you know, you you sort of famously went back to Iran a couple of times and and. Um, obviously, things were very difficult uh, uh, in terms of going back and being jailed by the the regime, etc. Uh, would you enter? I mean, if 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 we get our wish, uh, the the wish of Iranians, it seems almost universally around the world to have this regime gone, to have a new, free, secular, democratic Iran. Would would you want to move back there, or you're you're very established as a you're kind of a New York institution at this point? Would you entertain going back to Iran? I love to go to Iran. Even in these days, I'm just uh, anxious to just jump and go to Iran. But I'm not sure if I would stay. I've been spending like 50 years of my life in New York City and. I'm kind of established here, so I know my way around. But, uh, hmm. but uh, it all depends. I, at this time, I would love to go to visit. I would love to be part of the new government. Can you Not imagine your of- your art that has made you a persona non grata for the last four decades in Iran? Uh, can you imagine a a, a a gallery, a museum in Iran publicly posting your art? Wouldn't that be great? That would be lovely. Just to, to remind you, the last show that I had in, in the Museum of Modern Art in Tehran was attack and, you know, I still, have, I I, I still haven't got any, any of those paintings back. So hopefully next time we will have a different show. I remember that very well, and I, I remember us talking about that. And it's a, it's, it's, it's incredibly tragic. And you're not alone in terms of the art and artifacts that have been um, lost or suppressed or, or conveniently hidden by this uh, by this regime and those around it. Nikki Nojimi, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Our 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 line was a little distressed today, but it was uh, still so gratifying to hear your voice. And I'm I'm so grateful for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you. Your, your program is fantastic. I listen to it all the time. You're the best. Thank you. Khodafiz. Nikki Donjumi in New York. Always a pleasure to talk to him. This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you can become 
a patron, a Rook member, to support us at rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E, media.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together, including Roham, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Meritod. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. We appreciate that on any of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, we'll see you Thursday. And in the meantime, Mizunbashi.